You want to know why you're all fucked up? What is nothing? Hey, now that's what in the fuck are we doing here? That's deep, bro. Welcome to That's Deep Bro. I am your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode. Uh, Lots in store for you today. Very exciting to get into it. But first, a few announcements. I am touring. I'm ramping up to tape my first hour of stand-up comedy. So if you want to see the hour that's going to end up all over the world, come see me work it out, man. May 19th and 20th, New York City at Gotham Comedy Club, June 1st through 3rd, Denver Comedy Works, the downtown location, and then June 16th and 17th, Man Frandisco at the Punchline. Um, Also, Amazon, if you're shopping on Amazon, I should probably turn my volume off, use my banner, go to thatsdeepbropodcast.com, click on the banner at the bottom of every uh, post and do your shopping as you normally would. And that's that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Let's get rolling. Lots to go over. Big week. Uh, Tom and I went to Malibu for an overnighter. A lot of revelations, a lot of television that I've watched. I got to share it all with you. Okay, let's start. Okay, let's go. This is again Radio Yerevan with our news. Oh, I'm sorry. Turn on the machine. This is Radio Yerevan. My name is Hans Ivanovich Hagen. And this is the news.
play Nina Hagen and I think a few minutes into it you're like all right I think I got it thank you Nina Hagen hi welcome to that's deep bro thank you for watching me on YouTube I'm on uh, my own YouTube channel doing this show you can watch me talk to myself you can uh, listen to this as you are on your podcast so yes uh Nina Hagen a lunatic from the 80s I this one song I always think I like and then I get until the last part of it and I'm like all right I gotta tap out but I like it in the beginning I think I like how fucking weird she is uh, German rock star. They're all fucking weird. So big week, a uh, good week this week. I did shows in, um, I did shows in fart next last week and then I'm going to New York coming up next week. It's all, it's all good. I'm very excited to shoot my special long time coming and I'm, I'm super pumped. Uh, the husband and I took a night off. We went to uh, a nice hotel for the evening by the beach and, uh, spaced out and I, uh, I had this epiphany. It was so crazy. I was sitting there and uh, I was looking at the water and I thought to myself, God, I wish I could enjoy this. I just, I wish I were the the type of personality that could, I, I can just enjoy this moment because while I do enjoy things simultaneously, it's like I have to run anxiety with it. Like I have to find something to worry about in order to counterbalance the joy that I'm feeling because you know, the other shoe's going to drop eventually. Like that's just in my fucked up way of thinking. It's a, it's something I, I get my life on is what I'm saying. I, I recognize it. I acknowledge it. And that's what I, that's one of the things I work on is this running uh, anxiety, right? So I'm sitting there looking at the ocean and I'm thinking to myself, God, wouldn't it be great if I could go back to a time where I didn't have the responsibility of being a mother. Now that's not to say I don't adore my son and I, I just think he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. But as with, uh, you know, the gravity of it, of caring for another human, that also adds another layer of anxiety to my life sometimes. And, uh, and I was like, gosh, you know, uh, not that I don't want my son, but I, I remember a, a carefree time before I had a kid and wouldn't it be neat to go back there? <laughs> and then the other part of my brain went, oh, wait a minute. You've never been carefree. <laughs> What are you talking about? If it wasn't a kid, if it, if it weren't the kid you were obsessing about, you'd be obsessing about something else. You'd be running anxiety on some other storyline in your life. You know, it would be the the podcast you had to go home and record, or you know, the the phone call you had to make, or the emails you got, whatever. You would find something else to be anxious about. So it's never for me. It's never about the thing I'm actually anxious about because what I discovered in my huge epiphany is that apparently. The gift of my mind, uh, the way it works is that there's always something to be anxious about. Isn't that fantastic that there's always something for me to fixate about and worry about and basically spoil a good time over? (laughs) That's the best part of my personality. Thank you, God, for making me me. 
Yeah. So, uh, so I had that epiphany and now uh, you're listening to this and you might think, well, Christina, isn't that, isn't that terribly negative and sad? And isn't that awful that you're just going to replace anxiety with anxiety that these things just change form in your mind and that it doesn't even matter what it is. It's just going to give you anxiety and, 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 uh, control your joy and rob you of, of living in the moment. No. Well, because for the simple fact that I'm cognizant of it, the fact that I can see the thought as it comes and go, oh, that's terrible. That is robbing me of, uh, of joy right now. And I can kind of look at it and go, oh, that's funny. Like that's a, that's a silly thing that I do. And, um, and that's really all you can do. You know, it, it's, it's so funny. Someone emailed me about the idea of closure. How can I have closure on on this relationship? How can I have closure on this and that? And and you know, I think that closure is one of those horseshit eighties self help nonsense things that that my mother bought into uh, reading Barbara DeAngelis books and uh, this idea that suddenly you know you can do away with the the thing that bothers you or you can. You know, you can burn the photos and that'll give you closure on relationship or you can uh, somehow erase those parts of you that are your, your sore spots. And like, it, it doesn't, I don't think it works that way. Like, I don't, I don't believe in uh, closure. I think that's horseshit. I think that's not a realistic picture of human minds because I think what it really is, is there's just, there's just spots you ever see a hot spot on a dog and they, they're constantly, you know, gnawing at it. It's just a hot spot. It's a, it's a spot in your brain that, um, it's always going to exist. You know, the, the sad memories or whatever, the relationships that have been, uh, broken or whatever fucking thing. For me, it's that, that controlling thing, right? I have to find something to, uh, to, to be anxious about. Otherwise I'm not controlling everything. That's what I do. I go, Oh my God, I'm happy right now. Okay. But what am I not looking at? There's gotta be something that I'm not dealing with. That's what, wow. how can I, how can I get back to anxiousness? <laughs> my natural state of, of wanting to control all the variables. And it's just, it's just who I am. Am I ever going to, um, not be this way? Probably not. Probably it's just part of who I am, but what I can do and what, what, what I think is what happens is you recognize the pain of whatever, the closure thing, the, you recognize what you're doing to yourself and then you can kind of go, Oh, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's the nuttiness that I've, I'm putting myself through again and again and not flog yourself over it, but just acknowledge it. Oh, okay. And with closure, I think it's such a, you know, you're never going to get over death of of things of relationships of people of jobs of situations of times in your life or whatever you don't it's not that there's a a time where you just don't feel something I mean there might be I don't know I mean yeah maybe actually that's not true there's relationships that I've long ended that I don't I'm totally ambivalent towards but those things that really really got us the wounds the the dark 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 the darkness the dark uh you know, it's just something that I think you should have to integrate into who you are, you know, and uh, as much as I've wanted to be somebody else most of my life, I would say that, uh, I would say that most of my life, 
I've I've wanted to be Kelly from BH9. You know, like the up, uplifting kind of uh, happy, popular girl uh, who all the guys want and who everyone wants to be best friends with. And the truth of it is, I'm not. I'm not a Kelly. Um, I'm more of a Tiffany Amber Thiessen. You know what I mean? I'm the I'm the dark girl that moved to LA from uh, Minnesota and is smoking cigarettes in the window ledge or smoke smoking pot. I'm more cigarettes. I wasn't so much into pot, but um, you know, a little anxious, a little angsty, a little a little bad, a little dark. And I think it, it took a long time for me to just admit that like I'm fucking weird. I'm fucking weird. And I, I just it's just who it, it's just who I am. And I, I for years I'm just trying I was trying so hard to to not be, but that fucking it's exhausting and I can't do it anymore. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh... Which brings me to my other point, which is Better Call Saul. I don't know why people aren't talking about this show every fucking day, because every episode of Better Call Saul is like a movie. It's a spinoff of Breaking Bad. If you like Breaking Bad, check out Better Call Saul. It's like the, it's his story. It's the the corrupt attorney, and it's his life story, and it's, ugh. I just love it. I love Bob Odenkirk's character. Odenkirk was on Mr. Show with David Cross and my beloved friend Mary Lynn Rice Cub and uh but I love this character of Saul because he's a shitbag. Like he's just a straight the Slip and Jimmy was his name before he became an attorney. And Slip and Jimmy's a con man and he's you know he steals cash from the register and he cons old people. <laughs> and I love him. I just love the character so much. And for me Better Call Saul is a story of I'm sure for everyone it is too, but it's a story of a shitbag embracing being a shitbag. And not all of Saul is bad, by the way. He has love for his girlfriend, Kim Wexler. He has love for his brother, Chuck, who wants nothing more than to have him disbarred. But, um, but the, it's a story of a man who, like me, is trying to be somebody he's not for a long time. And he applies to the big firms and, you know, they don't take him. And he doesn't fit into that world. That's not what he's good at. What he's good at is the slimy side of the law, the, the shitbag part of the law. And so it's, a, it's such a great show because you, you watch him. It's an evolution of somehow, sometimes you get cornered into being a certain way, but sometimes, you know, you unfold a certain way. The acorn grows to be whatever acorn tree, regardless of circumstance. Like you're, you're just going to be who you are, um, no matter what. And it's so fun to watch him have to embrace the dark side of his force. Cause you know, it's, he can't do it otherwise. So better call Saul, check it out. It's, it's such a fucking amazing show. And I, I really don't know why everyone's not into it. Okay. There we go. Now, let's get into some emails. I've got, I was really thinking about my little um, millennials this week. 
Hold on, we have to play our theme song. We always forget it. You want to know why you're all fucked up? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So this is so funny. I, 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 I talk about millennials a lot because you guys write to me a lot, and I'm very curious about you and very, very curious about how us Xers, us Gen Xers fucking failed you as a generation, um, especially now as a parent. I can see the tremendous amount of over-parenting, helicopter parenting, attachment parenting, homeschooling, unschooling, uh, whole wheat, gluten-free, vegan diet, obsessions with safety. I see it. I see it now. And I'm sorry. I just want to apologize to the children that had to grow up in a world where uh, you guys were taught to fear everything. There is zero freedom given to children now. Uh, Can't walk to the playground by yourself. You have to wear a sign that says free range kid, apparently in my neighborhood. Um, I see it on the, I see it on the playground. I, I go, I take my kid. There's like a fire truck that you can play on here. And I watch a lady just fucking narrate everything that kid did, man. Just Connor. Connor, are you going to put your leg up there? Good, Connor. Connor, come over here, Connor. Connor, Connor. And uh, it was like, can you just let the kid discover? Just fucking allow wonderment. Remember that? Just wonderment, discovery. Let a boy find his footing. Let a girl find her footing. Whatever. Connor, you want a snack? Connor, how about a snack? You want a snack? And Connor was like, no, no, no. And at one point, he said, I need space. (laughs) Connor told his mom to fuck off and I almost high-fived this two-year-old because I'm like, yeah, give the kids some fucking breathing room. So, and I, you know, when you get raised that way without any sort of freedom where you're monitored to death, everything is dangerous, everything is safety first and I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, before my son was born, we had to buy every item that they recommend. The, the the seats, the crib needs to be fortified with this. You can't put the you can't put crib uh, bumpers in there because it'll strangle the baby. The baby can't have a pillow in the crib because it, it strangles the baby. The sids it's going to die of sids. You can't. You have to use uh, special bottles that are PBA free. Can't have any sort of. It's, it's insanity. It's complete insanity, and no wonder now. And I don't blame you. I don't understand. I didn't always understand this with you millennials. And I apologize. At the beginning of this podcast, I blamed you guys. I thought you guys were fucking out of your mind. Like, why can't this generation get it together? Well, it's because you were fucking uh, spoon-fed fear and obsessive safety. So, sorry. Our bad. Gen X. I'm at the very tail end of X. I'm like the last two years of X. And uh, we fucked you guys. Sorry. It was because we were latchkey kids. We thought we were doing you guys a favor to uh, over-parent. We were over-steering, over-compensating, which never works. Okay. Not that any generation has turned out perfectly yet. There's no perfect generation. Uh, but okay. So, so it, my point being, of course, I will be getting emails from 20-something-year-old kiddos who have social anxiety. That is like... Problem number one, how do I meet people? How do I make friends? How do I go out with coworkers? I just can't seem um, to do it. Everyone else has no problem. And I have received so many of these. I'm just going to read you one. Uh, Hey, mommy. Uh, About four years ago, I passed out at a doctor's office for the next year, which also happened to be my senior year in college. I passed out at work twice. 
A few more times out and about. For some reason, everything changed when I woke up on the floor of the examination room. I was convinced I was going to die. Stupid, I know, but it's true. Feeling like I'd pass out on and off for a couple of years threw me into uncontrollable panic attacks and white knuckling my way through 40 years, sorry, 40 hours a week at an internship and 15 at an unpaid charity for my final credits. I'm older now and thanks to some lovely and brilliant people. I'm better, but I'm not the person I used to be. It's tough to make myself be social, to get out and be a normal person. I work to support my mom and sister. Thank God I can swing that. But life is passing me by. I have no friends, no real outlet in life. How can I get over this hump and get back to my life? Do you have any advice for a poor bastard like me? Thanks, Jim. Now, this is not the first one I've received, and I wish I could find the... There's another one, too, of this guy who's like... Look, I, I've got my life together and all this, but I look at my coworkers. They, have, they seem to have no problem asking each other out, yet I am paralyzed uh, by fear of the thought of talking to people, walking up to them, introducing myself, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I did this last week where there was a girl who wrote in who was like, I'm 23, I'm cute as fuck, dudes aren't talking to me, what can I do? Um, so that, that's on the dating tip. So I'm not going to so much go there, but let's go with just uh, friendships, friendships, everyday interaction. Now, of course, in an era where human courtship, love, <laughs> mating rituals are reduced to an app where you can swipe right or swipe left, friendships are based on likes people are getting on photographs of you know bullshit, idealized images of what's really happening in their lives. Of course, there's a cavernous sadness um, between reality and then what's happening on social media. And I can't even imagine being raised in an era where you saw, you get to see what other people are doing and you imagine that their lives are so much better than yours and these people are having fun and they're fucking all the time and they're having a Coke and a smile and everything's great and my life sucks. Sucks. Because um, back then that used to just be for celebrities. I grew up in an era where that bullshit picture, this idealized lifestyle was only for celebrities and magazines, but now everybody can pretend to be fantastic all the time. And it's really misleading to a generation of children who've never seen the, just otherwise, I've never seen an ulterior alternative reality. So, so here's the deal. Okay. Let's break it down. So social interaction Number one, the reason it's so terrifying, I think, for so many of you is because it involves risk. It involves putting yourself out there. It involves possible rejection, uh, failure, defeat, humiliation, shame, all of the above. Something that you guys, as a generation, something that's been called out of your day-to-day existence, okay? I was listening to, I don't know, forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but Brene Brown, who I just love, she was giving a talk about uh, her kid taking swim lessons. I think I fucking talked about this already. But anyways, when the kid learns to do the swim move, the coach can either go thumbs up or thumbs down if the kid does it right, because they're in a pool. It's not like they can hear. Thumbs up, thumbs down is good or bad how you did this move. And one of the parents, the parent, no, no, not one of the parents, the parents got together and said, could you not do the thumbs down move? Because it, 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 it's too negative. Could you give like a uh, so-so move instead of thumbs down? <laughs> now, the problem with not living a thumbs down, thumbs up existence is exactly this, okay? 
if you become risk aversive, if you become phobic of the risk of failure and hurt and defeat, it will, it will cripple you. It's not just going to fuck up your social life. It's, if you listen to the tone of this last email I read, that guy is in anguish. He's really sad and lonely. And I think that human interaction and stuff, it was just a given. It's because that's how we entertained each other is we sat around the fucking fireplace and we whittled and we told stories and we, you know, you talk to your family. You didn't uh, sit in your room and masturbate to your cell phone all day. So that's gone. The fireside chat, the fucking, or, you know, mom and pa telling stories, spinning yarns, whatever the fuck, uh, that's gone. So of course, it seems terrifying to you. So just acknowledge that, first of all, it's, it's probably just how you were brought up. Uh, so kids that are told that they're great all the time or that there's no such thing as failure, right? I, I, a friend of mine sends her kid to a school where they don't have first grade, second grade, third grade because it, it feels too hierarchical. Instead, they have first group, second group, third group so that nobody feels like they're being ranked. Uh, which is so fucking foolish because guess what? In life, you're constantly ranked. You're ranked by age, by the amount of money you make, by how successful you are, by how attractive you are. Humans rank each other all the time on everything. And it's just human nature. It's where you find yourself in the pecking order. There's, it's neither good nor bad, okay? So for the little my little boo-boo millennials listening, you're terrified because you were never taught to fail. Um, there's a great book called Failing Forward, I believe. Also, read anything by Dale Carnegie. That guy fucking had it. Uh, Failing Forward. It's a great book about the nature of failure. And I've done an episode, I've done an entire episode, Failing Forward by John C. Maxwell. I have it on audio. Um, you know, it's fantastic because if you recontextualize failure, because that's what you're really afraid of, let's break it down, right? You're afraid that someone's going to reject you. Um, but it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's not this soul crushing thing. You kind of have to get over yourself to get, to get one with failure. <laughs> uh, it's a lesson I've learned as a stand-up comedian. You become one with failure all the time. I would say nightly. Not every joke I tell is going to hit. So you acknowledge failure in the moment on stage even. You acknowledge it and then you move on to the next thing. And I've learned so much from doing stand-up because that's, it's, a, it's the same shit in life. You fail constantly. Every day, failure strikes. Uh, it's how you choose to acknowledge it and move on. You, can, you recontextualize it. Does it make me bad as a person? Because a lot of times we internalize the failure of, if I failed at this, therefore I'm a bad person. Or we catastrophize. I failed this, therefore I will never have anything good ever again. I'll never make friends. I'll never have a... And it goes down that rabbit hole. There's a lot of things you can do on how you perceive failure. So I invite you, if you have social anxiety to recontextualize and make friends with failure. And how do you do that? Well, uh, there's really only one fucking way. I mean, you can therapy your way through a lot of stuff, but real life needs to happen. We need to put down our fucking phones. You need to get off Facebook. You need to go into the real world and talk to real people. And I know that sounds really scary for people who are raised otherwise. I mean... It's, it's so weird to me having grown up 
in a world without social media and then to become acclimated to this wacky upside down land. It is, it is, they're two different realms, people. So you just have to become acclimated to the realm of the reality, the real realm. And in that, it's, uh, it's daunting because humans are hard uh, to read sometimes. And it's just trial and error. So you're going to have to fucking get over yourself and just do it. So how do you talk to a stranger? Okay. Um, I've always found that finding something common to bullshit about, bullshit's great. Okay. Bullshit. Funny bullshit's great. Um, I've always thought if you have a dog or if you have a hobby, like go meet people at the dog park. I, I, I love talking to people at the dog park cause I'm such a dog enthusiast. Um, I do that. The grocery store, go to like a specialty grocery store and talk about gluten-free pasta or whatever your diet that you're on. I, I talk to strangers all the time. I like talking to strangers sometimes, sometimes, not all the time. Um, I think the best way is to throw out, not like a zinger, but just something that if that person notices too, then you have a kindred, you're aligned in how you see the world, right? Um, like, okay, for instance, I, I've used this last week, but when I was at Neiman Marcus, there was a guy who had a Brussels Griffon and it was uncontrollable. I'm a Brussels enthusiast. I love these dogs so much. I'm a nutbag for them. And I couldn't even control it. I ran up to him and I go, oh, that's a Brussels Griffon. And he goes, yes, that is a Brussels. How did you know? And I go, well, I have uh, two Brussels. I'm a huge enthusiast. Who's the breeder? Where'd you get them? So it starts off with a common thread. Maybe the two of you are in a coffee house and there's some, there, every barista has ironic beards and you know hipster shit on. And you go, oh my God, I, I didn't get the memo of the beards. I, I'm not wearing my hipster beard. Whatever the fuck it is, find something common that you can get that person to engage with with you over find something absurd in the room that's what I, I love i love finding what's absurd in the room right that's silly and then the other person either goes now here's how you know if that, either, that other person's going to be cool if that other person goes yeah that is fucking weird or if the other person's like oh no i didn't even notice and then goes back to their phone all right move on and so also it's a numbers game with social interaction not everybody is fun and I was very disappointed to learn that when I started taking my kid to these like mommy and me type classes, I thought for sure we all, we all share this thing of like having a baby. You guys are all going to be awesome. No, not the fucking case. And, and the truth of it is, the truth of it is in the human species, there's a lot of fucking duds, a lot of losers running around, very few interesting, fun dynamic human beings you want to talk to. And that's where the numbers game comes in with social interaction. So you might throw out a line and it doesn't get reciprocated and you think, oh, I'm a loser. I should stop doing this. It's just like, um, it's like these douchebag guys that go after girls all the time. It's a numbers game. You just got to think like a douchebag guy. Just keep, keep throwing the hook, throwing it. And eventually you'll meet somebody cool. Like in my mom class, they're all fucking nerds, dude. I, I was like, Oh my God. Like I, I, I tried to be like sarcastic, like I am and point out how ridiculous the teachers being like one time I remember they were like, now we're bringing out my, my boy was about nine months old at the time, by the way, my, I'm taking my nine month old to baby class and the teacher's about to drop a bunch of light up balls around the kids. Right. And the teacher goes, this next exercise, this stimulates the frontal lobe and also, uh 
starts their motor skills and it's going to have with well, the help with their fine motor skills. And you're, I mean, give me a fucking break. No, it doesn't. All we're doing is putting a bunch of bouncy balls in front of nine month olds. Okay. And, and at best, if your kid notices it, that's a good day. So don't fucking sell this to me like we're doing big shit here, okay? It's not fucking Einstein, baby Einstein class. It's just like kids bouncing balls. So I remember I saw the absurdity of that moment. And to the, the mom next to me, I was joking. And I was like, gosh, I hope my you know baby's fine motor skills are developed today with these balls, you think? I mean, his drooling skills are developed or whatever stupid thing I said. And it was like, it just fell flat. It was just like a hot turd. Uh, on the floor and I and then you know what you do in your brain you go oh yeah that one's lame next and then you look to the right and I would drop another one like uh wow a lot of babies that one's cute I like her uh her jeans or whatever the fuck and if that mom is like oh yeah I like I like her jeans too and then you go oh yeah you're cool you're a cool mom like I met one cool mom in this class in these classes like once one one cool mom they're all they're all fucking nerds uh you just throw it out. You keep throwing it out, throwing it out, throwing it out. Be you. Be your personality. And, uh, you know, apropos our discussion at the top of this show, uh, be weird because it's okay. Let, let the flag fly and then you're going to attract the other weirdos. That's the whole name of the game, right? That's the whole name of this podcast is the weirdos like it. This is, this is our tribe. Everybody that listens to this show, it's a shared tribe of weirdness. We're all fucking weirdos and we all enjoy being that way. So the key to finding friends is to let the flag fly. Don't try to hide that stuff about you that's quirky or whatever, but don't necessarily lead with, <laughs> you know, everything. You got to reveal in bits and pieces, but at least in the beginning, a little bit of quirk, and just see if that person takes your quirk bait. And if they do, then you guys are buddies. For instance, I met my best friend. We were 14 years old and we met in a drama class. And I put a Skittle up my nose and I handed it to her and I go, hey, you want the Skittle? And then she goes, yeah, just popped it in her mouth. And I go, I just put that up in my nose. And she was like, well, I don't care. And I immediately went like, oh, we're going to be friends for life. For life. And to this day, we're BFFs. So... Uh, that's the kind of shit I'm talking about. And if you find those people, then you hold on to them. Not everybody's going to see the world the way you do. My sweet little baby millennials. Well, you know, they're not going to get it. It's fine. Just find the ones that do. Find the ones that do. That's all you can do. So come up with a good intro line. It doesn't have to be a line line because people smell that. I think another great thing is to be in the moment. You know, if something happens and you're standing next to a person that you want to connect with, it's always good to bring up what's happening in the moment. I find that that's very a fun way. And also listening to other people, like really listen to what somebody says. So many times you just like waiting for your turn to talk, right? And if you really listen to somebody, most people are very interesting if they're, if they're being honest, if they're sharing. Um, you know, people drop little truth nuggets and you can be like, oh, that's interesting. You were uh, raised in, uh, in Chino. What's that like? What's that like? What malls did you go to? You know, you follow up with questions. Where are you from? Where, uh, you know, what's your family like? You have brothers and sisters. That kind of basic stuff. Get to know somebody that way. People love talking about themselves. Hello, look at this podcast. It's an hour of me rambling about me. Um, people love talking about themselves. That's another secret. Gosh, I did a show where I picked up hitchhikers. It was called um, The Hitchhiker Chronicles. And what I learned is that uh, a, it's not a good idea to pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> uh, but B, 
people are desperate to be heard. They really want to tell their stories. They really want, they really want to be listened to and heard and acknowledged. And so if you just ask, if you just ask about somebody, most of the time they're, they just want to tell you their story and to see if, uh, if you relate, if they're weird, if you're weird, whatever. So ask, ask questions. Where are you from? What was it like growing up? You like your parents? <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, there you go. Anyway, I, I, I'm so I'm sorry that this is such a, a hard thing for you guys. I think it's really fucking sad. Okay, <clears throat> now this next one. Oh my gosh. Okay, Ooh, this next one even makes me nervous just reading it. But I gotta talk about it. Uh, it says, "Hi, mommy. I heard you on your mom's house say that you're an emetophobe." I've been debating emailing for quite some time about this exact topic. I have had a fear of vomiting since I was in fourth grade and with the help of therapy have figured out where it came from. I always thought it was a weird quirk, but as it turns out, it goes back to my mother. Shocking, I know. She was a pill popper my entire childhood and would vomit due to either withdrawals, taking too much of her sugars, or sorry, taking too much or her sugars being out of whack. She's also diabetic. She was vomiting a lot in the car, on the floor, anywhere because she was drugged up and didn't know any better. Oh my God. (laughs) As I got older, the fear got so much worse. I wouldn't go in cars because I was afraid I or someone else would get sick. I would be very meticulous over what I and other people around me would eat, constantly asking if people felt okay if they look tired or pale, I called out work constantly if I felt the least bit nauseous. It completely overtook my life. The worst part about this phobia is that being anxious can make you nauseous. So it becomes this vicious circle and you start to feel like your body is working against you. For me, this thing has almost taken my life away. It was very deep-seated issues that were trying to come out but showed themselves as this phobia. What are your thoughts on phobias? I'm scared to think that even with therapy, I have to forever retrain my negative thoughts and always have to work to be somewhat normal again. And this will possibly be something I always deal with. Even though I have the tools to get better, it will always be a part of me because I made it a part of me. Oh no. What we're talking about today is that there's really no such thing as closure. It's not like you get over a phobia or whatever, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent, there's always going to be remnants of whatever. And you just kind of integrate it into yourself. So yes, I have, a, uh, this phobia to, uh, it's called emetophobia. And I, uh, I've been dealing with it oh, since I was like nine. And it sounds like you, you got it. Cause your mom was barfing everywhere in front of you, which is fucking gnarly and disgusting. And I can't even imagine what your house smelled like. Oh, Oh, and did she clean it? I hope so. Oh my God. Ugh. God, I'm freaking out just even thinking about seeing someone just. <laughs> oh. God. So, okay. Yeah. It's something I've been afraid of since I was nine. I, I'll tell you my origin story because I've gotten some emails since I've mentioned this on your mom's house. Um, people are like, Hey, what happened to you? Why do you have this? Okay. I'll tell you. So I was nine years old and I, I had a really bad bout of food poisoning and my mom, of course, overreacted. Um, she always overreacted when I vomited as a child, like panic, hysteria, horrible. And I ended up in the ER, which was ridiculous. And it was very traumatic because she was overreacting and, uh, it's, 
anyway, there's more details. I'm not going to go into them, but basically because of one incident when I was nine and then I developed this weird thing where I would get really panicky over what I ate. Same, similar thing where you're, uh, I would do this thing where I would eat and then I would count the hours down after I'd eaten to make sure I wasn't sick. <laughs> it was really fucked up. Uh, just to make sure that I had passed the window of food poisoning every time I ate. There was a time in my 20s where I wouldn't eat certain foods in public. I would only prepare them at home to eat them. Uh, I wouldn't get into cars on freeways after I'd eaten certain foods because I was convinced I was going to get sick and barf everywhere, get food poisoning. And I, what I found out later is that it, that stuff would activate or, or kick up um, when something was going on in my life that I wasn't addressing, like some kind of emotional stuff that was happening. Now, I haven't had that bad in about, since I was 26 years old, it's been really good. I don't like hearing it vomiting. I don't like the clips that my husband plays on your mom's house. Uh, I don't, I just, I'm uncomfortable. I don't, I don't enjoy it. Like it's not something I will ever uh, be just neutral on. But I've gone, I've talked about it a lot with my shrink and I've, uh, I've dealt with the source of it, which phobias from what I understand have their root in some sort of trauma that is unresolved. And for you, it sounds like it's pretty fucking, yeah, your mom was barfing and and a pill popper and there's a lot of shit around that. Um, for me, it was just my mom, I think. And it manifested in, um, this weird phobia of puking all the time. It was really my mom, (laughs) Uh, being an overbearing, mentally ill person. So, uh, but you get over it. You manage it rather. I would say I, I manage it uh, by talking to my shrink about it over and over. Now, when I got pregnant, I was super worried about morning sickness because I, I haven't vomited since I was 28 years old, 27 years old. I'm 40, so wh- whatever the math is. Like I haven't vomited that long. It's what is that? Fifteen years? Thirteen years? That's how long it's been since I vomited. Fourteen years. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's because of sheer will of force of me just like repressing the need. Um, but when I was pregnant, thankfully I didn't have morning sickness. I was nauseous a few times, but never vomited. Thank God. Which and here's the reality of it is that the last time I did puke, it wasn't that bad. Like I did it, and I was like, oh. Oh yeah, this isn't this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Because what I found in, in my in my experience with with phobia is that it's actually the thought of the thing that's more terrifying than the thing happening, the vomiting happening. It's always the fear that I might vomit and lose control because it's a control thing for me, right? I'm losing control of my body. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. Am I going to you know? It's the, the con- control issue for me and. Uh, but then you realize like, oh, it's not, it's not that it's horrible. Vomiting's terrible, but it's not the end of the world. There's a lot of things worse than that. Uh, but yeah, oh God. And I'm so dreading Ellis's first stomach flu. I'm just dreading that fucking nightmare of him puking all over me. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I know, I know, I know it's going to happen. Let's just hope I have another few months before that goes down. Oh God. Duh. Okay. So phobias, I would love to do a specific episode on uh, phobias. That would be really cool because I only know about mine. And uh, it, did, it did fuck up my life, and like I said, in my early 20s. It, it really came around then. And in my childhood, I was obsessed with the fear of vomiting. Like I would have these massive panic attacks, man. Like just thinking about 
Like I, w- I would, I remember like, I would just think about the threat of vomiting. I would just sit there and be like, oh my God, I feel like I might, am I sick? Am I nauseous? And then I would start just shaking at the thought of it. This is like when I was 10, nine years old, like a little girl. And I would have to go into the, into our swimming pool and just put my feet in the pool and just like, like breathe. I would start shaking. Oh, so scary. And I, I think, I mean, looking back, I know it wasn't about the, the, it wasn't about the vomiting. It was probably being raised by a crazy person. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Well, we did that one. We did phobia. I thought I had one more for you guys. No. Um, that's all I got. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go take care of myself today. I'm going to go get a massage. I'm going to get my life together. You got to rest. You always got to rest. Remember I talked about getting sick because I didn't schedule uh, a day of rest. Well, this is my day of rest after this. I'm done. I'm going to go get a massage. I'm going to chill the fuck out. I'm going to stare at the wall. I'm going to uh, see my friend, Mary Lynn. We're going we're gonna to gab about lady stuff. Lady stuff. And, uh, and that's it. So I hope this was helpful for you. Um, the next episode, I interviewed uh, the Mormon girl, Jenna, who wrote in about her competitive family and how that so fucked up her relationship with being competitive. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm going to play that next week, my interview with Jenna. Very interesting stuff. And uh, if you have anything, email me. That's deepropodcast at gmail.com. Come see me live. Come see me uh, do my hour. And that's it, Jeans. I hope you have a great week, bros. Stay real. Uh, Get your life. Get your ass in therapy. Yeah, there you go. All right, mommies. Take care. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with Philosophize with Christina P, a.k.a. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. Our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.